So welcome to our first annual 2023 session of Coffee and Questions. This is the, yep, give yourselves a round of applause because you are the star. This is like one of those, uh, well, no, I was going to say one of those Disney things, but you can't say that anymore. Um, you know, where they put you in the driver's seat. But you are now in the driver's seat in terms of Sunday school. You get to determine the topics. You get to determine what we're going to be uh, studying and learning about. So that's the exciting part. You've had a whole year to develop your questions, so I know you guys have tons and tons of them. But let's open up with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to learn more about who you are and what you have done to, uh, for us and how we are to respond. And those are the things that we see clearly in Scripture. We would not have known those things unless you had spoken. There simply is no way for us to figure them out on our own, not only because we're sinful, but because, indeed, we are creaturely, and you are the creator and not a creature. And so because we are finite, we simply need you to speak to us. Thank you that you have spoken to us in your word clearly. Help us to understand what's written therein so that we can apply it to our lives and be better in living the entirety of our lives for Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. All right, folks, Coffee and Questions is live. I'll open it up to you guys. Let's, uh, maybe I'll pop this into a pocket so I'm not holding it. Okay, who's got our first question, the first official question of the year? And crickets. Oh, Loretta, yes. So the question is, if Elijah, uh, if the Old Testament says that Elijah must return before the coming of the one, and there's all sorts of different prophecies that speak about the Messiah coming, the king returning, we have to take just a step back. You didn't ask this part of the question, but just to put it in context. They had not yet put together, in the time of Jesus, the Jews had not put together that the returning king who would liberate them, and the Messiah, the king, the prophet to come, are all one. They did kind of get Messiah would probably be the king who would deliver, because that's what they could see as political deliverance from oppression First the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, now the Romans. I mean, it's a long time to have, you know, like you wake up and who's, who's overseeing us now? Oh, it's, oh, you know, it's these guys, whatever. So um, Messiah is more than likely a king, but the idea of a prophet to come uh, had not been put together into one. And Jesus, uh, you know, you've been going through our Westminster Shorter Catechism class. Jesus is our prophet priest, and king, so he fulfills all those roles. Uh, with that said, what we're looking at here, the question is, how is John the Baptist not literally a reincarnation of Elijah? In other words, the spirit, the soul, and so on. Well, there's several things uh, of which we can first address. The first one is, if he were, and Jesus were speaking, speaking in that sense literally, it would be not only a denial, but a contradiction of everything else in Scripture. Like in Hebrews, where it tells us that when you die, you immediately enter into the presence of God, into judgment, and there is no second chance, there is no return, there is none of that. So the Scripture makes this very, very clear that a person is born at death, their soul is separated from the body, that is not natural, that is in fact a consequence of the fall, it is the ultimate expression of the curse of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, and that that body, that same body, will be reunited to that soul only at the day of judgment, which by the time of Christ, even then, is not fully understood until after the resurrection. 
it will be his second coming. So when he returns, his second advent, as it were, then we'll have um, what is known as the general resurrection. General resurrection as in both believers and unbelievers, the good and the wicked alike being raised from the dead. So if that were the case, that Elijah were literally reincarnated, then it would be in contradiction and, in fact, in denial of all the other teachings. But the way that we best understand that and how Jesus is talking is something that we see all throughout the Old Testament. Now, can I introduce some technical terms? These are not terms you find in the Bible, just like the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but they're concepts. The concept is found in the Bible. So um, you're familiar with this word, maybe not used this way. Of course, the word type, and I don't mean mechanical typing. I'm talking about like when you say the word prototype, what do we mean? Say again? Yep, because proto, one. And version is essentially what we have there with type. So what we have in scriptures are what's called types and antitypes. And antitypes is not like the antichrist. Like, you know, oh, I'm going to go out and get all types and destroy them or anything. Um, it refers to the, the, temp, the, the, the main uh, version of what we're looking at in all these others. Uh, so if we say that the reality, maybe the best way of putting it is the reality and the shadows. And that's how the author of Hebrews uh, puts it. So you have, for example, David. Now, what is David in the Bible? Okay, he's a king. He's many other things, right? He's a shepherd, right? Is he not a shepherd? Right? Say again. Uh huh. He's a musician. That's true. Right? He is um, warrior. Warrior. Aha. Uh-huh. Son of Judah, just some, some examples. Was there another one? Dennis, was that a hand? Okay. So there are a number of different psalms where David speaks about things that Matthew then goes along and says they were actually referring to Jesus, like Psalm 110, right? Um, the Lord said to my Lord. Now, that always is so confusing when we say the Lord said to my Lord because in reality, there are two different Hebrew words. The first Lord is actually the word Yahweh, God's name, proper name. And then the word Lord is just what we think of it as. So Yahweh and Adonai. So Yahweh, the God of heaven, the God who's revealed himself to the Jews, Yahweh said to my Lord. And then it goes on and talks about the kingship of, well, we now say the kingship of the Messiah, but it doesn't actually say in the Psalm the kingship of the Messiah. It just talks about the kingship that's being handed down. And David is speaking in the first person. So what we have here is a type, a version, a shadow of who? Sunday school answer? Jesus, yes. Jesus is the ultimate king. He's the ultimate shepherd. I'm going to skip this one for a moment. Can you say, "Ah." he's our warrior who fights for us. He's the son of Judah that we read about in Genesis 49 that says that it's going to be a son of Judah who will be forever on the throne and will forever um, care, guide his people and care for his people and reverse the fall, as a matter of fact. It's going to be a son of Judah. Uh, David, in 2 Samuel 7, God tells him that he's making a covenant and it will be his line, uh, a son of David, who will rule and so on. Uh, we read in Amos about the coming shepherd, and God will shepherd his people, and 
get them out of exile, get them out of oppression, and, and so on. And then the musician may, may um, throw you at first glance, but Hebrews 1 and 2, it's really one extended chapter or, or uh, section, Jesus twice speaks about he leads the congregation in worship and that we, he, uh, we're here, but yet through his spirit working, if we stick to what, what is laid out in the word, Jesus actually is the one leading in worship, which is why we literally say that you hear Christ preaching when, when preaching is biblical. So is it really speaking of David ultimately? No, it's speaking of Christ ultimately. So we call David a type. Jesus is the anti-type, uh, the, the, real, the real version. Paul speaks about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and following, between a man and a woman. And he speaks about how the, the woman submits to the man, how the man is to love the wife and this sort of thing. And he, he presents this whole picture. Then he says, our relationship with Christ is like that. The church is the bride. Christ is the bridegroom. And then he says something very interesting. He doesn't say the church and Christ are like human marriage. He says, no, the reality is Christ and the bride, and human marriage is the reflection. So, again, Jesus is the antitype, the reality of that. So when we're talking about Elijah, what he's saying is there is going to be one who is coming who is going to have that same spirit where the spirit of the Lord will come upon him. He will be a powerful prophet, and he will, in that regard, be doing the same role that Elijah had, calling the people, because Elijah was calling people to repentance and calling them to return. He was in the time of great apostasy when you had um, um, two, ten, uh, two uh, let me try that again, 10 of the tribes of Israel had broken away. Two had remained semi-faithful. The other, two had, uh, the other 10 had apostatized. And he's in the middle of calling the people back. So, Laura, you want to follow up? It's clear. Yes, because that's what he's basically saying is, I, I'm, not saying, I'm saying that it's not literal. Elijah has not actually returned. In fact, where do we actually see Elijah return? Anybody know? Transfiguration, Matthew 11, and yes, absolutely. So there, God allows the veil to be parted, and both Moses and Elijah, as the two great prophets at the giving of the covenant, and those who follow the restoration or the push for the restoration, these two men literally appear. But it's not John the Baptist. By that time, John the Baptist is already dead, as a matter of fact. Yes. Yes, we are. Now, that brings up another very interesting point, which is it would be wrong to look at ourselves and say the real me is my soul and that my body is just a shell. We say that. You hear people saying that all the time. It's actually pagan. Does anybody know from whom that that mindset comes from? Plato, yes, it is what we call Platonic thought. It is from Plato. It is a Greek concept that is unbiblical. It teaches that the body is bad, that all physical things are bad, that what is material is ultimately either evil or imperfect, and the only true and the only perfect things are material or uh, even abstract things. And so that worked its way into Christianity early in, uh, uh, in the era of, uh, of Roman popes and became known as Neoplatonic thought. It's interesting, just thought. So 
uh, around the time of Leo the Great. It was one of the so-called because he was like the first bishop of Rome who kind of said, you know what, I am the bishop of all the church. And right around that time frame, we see Neoplatonic thought entering into the church. Um, Augustine, before he was converted, uh, was, a, was a Neoplatonist, and he would make a big deal of, of that. Uh, even after he was converted, it took him about 20 years to shed that kind of thinking as he studied Scripture and became the greatest theologian of that era uh, of really the entire early church. Uh, it took him a while to shed that thinking. So what we see in Scripture is that God creates, look at Genesis 1, and in God's creation, he declares it good. He declares bodies good. He declares the physical world good. Is the world fallen? Yes, it is. But both body and soul are fallen together. There isn't one that's evil naturally and the other one is kept pure. Body and soul both fall. Body and soul both suffer the effects of the fall. Our bodies are getting older. We're aging. We get diseased. Ultimately, we die. Our souls also feel the effects of the fall in which we are prone to, you know, all the sinful effects that we see. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we covet, we, you know, all the different things that uh, you can look at in Scripture. That all comes, you know, from the inside, as it were, as Jesus himself says. So what we see is both aspects of what it means to be a human is fallen. That really is important because to be a human being is body and soul. It's when you die, the real you is not liberated. When you die, the curse of the fall comes upon you. Now, for the Christian, that's redeemed. In the sense, by redeemed, I mean to say that it becomes a transition into that greater glory. But even then, as Revelation shows the, uh, uh, the saints crying out, How long, O Lord? We long to be reunited because that's what it means to be fully human. So... When you say we are spirits, I think what I'm hearing you possibly say, Loretta, is we're spirits that can, that can inhabit all sorts of bodies. And actually, I'm going to answer and say no. Yeah, we cannot. Um, John the Baptist is who he is. Elijah is who he is. On the day of the resurrection, Elijah will be reunited to his body. And as you've heard me say before, his body is probably long gone. I mean, you know, you're talking about a guy whose physical body right now is probably about... Um, you know, 2,800 years old, 2,800. So I doubt he wasn't mummified or anything like that. Oh, actually, Elijah's been taken up. So actually, he doesn't, I don't know where his body's ended up. But um, <laughs> others, Elisha and everything else, 2,800 years old in that time frame. How can God bring back that body? Uh, remember, he can create all things out of nothing. And you've heard me say, for those of you who've actually been in our Sunday school class when we're dealing with those questions, your physical body regenerates itself all the time, less and less perfectly every, every cycle, so that every seven years, all the cells in your body are different than the ones you had previously. You know, constant regeneration. Your hair actually is a product of that, as are your nails, and, and, and we shed our body parts, as it were, but actually more like regenerating. It's not that things are falling off. That happens naturally as you get older. <laughs> but... Um, the point is that that is still you. You don't look at yourself and say, you know, I'm 56 years of age. I'm a different person than I was when I was 20. I, my body has changed. I could tell that. I don't look like a 20-year-old anymore or can act like one, but it's still me. And so that identity is absolutely central. So 
John the Baptist is John the Baptist, Elijah is Elijah, their bodies and their souls. I don't know if that helps. Uh, nope. Not, not buying that. Yes. But now, who is the spirit and power of Elijah? No, the spirit and power of Elijah is... Anyone want to take a guess? Elijah was smarter than everybody else. He had insight that nobody else had. Or the Holy Spirit has come upon him. Holy Spirit empowers. When Jesus speaks about the power and spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit that animated Elijah and Elisha and Moses, and in fact every other prophet, which is the Holy Spirit, came upon John the Baptist and they ignored him. They did not listen to what he had to say. And that's what Jesus is really getting at. Jesus is confronting the Pharisees who are literally blind. Well, not literally. They are spiritually blind, unable to see what's happening in front of them. He's standing right in front of them, and he's telling them, the Messiah's in your midst. You can't see that because you couldn't even see the forerunner who had come. And the forerunner who came is also anointed of that same spirit, he is, if you'll, if you'll, and his words are, if you can stand it, he is Elijah. And what he's trying to tell them, when, see, when he says that, he's telling you, I'm not telling you something literal. I'm trying to get your attention. This is the Elijah who was to come, John the Baptist. And what's so shocking to them is what he's trying to say is, John the Baptist is John the Baptist, but you've missed the point that he is that foretold prophet, that he is the one who fulfills that role of preparing the way in the wilderness uh, for the coming of the king. He's basically saying, the king is here, and you've missed the boat. But it's not too late. And so, but that's what he's getting at with them. And he's really challenging them to understand that there are this, this concept of types, which we see elsewhere. You know, um, and, and they had some understanding of that. They didn't expect David to literally come back, and yet it speaks that my son David... Sometimes they'll talk about my son David will, and I will give the kingdom to David. They don't literally think that he's going to come back, but there will be one like him who is a king, shepherd, musician, warrior, son of Judah. What they didn't pick up on uh, is that Jesus is that great prophet because they, they speak, are you the one, are you the prophet? By the way, our friends next door in the mosque speak of Muhammad as the prophet, and they think that he is the prophet, and so they deny that to Jesus as well. So people are missing the boat left and right all over. And Jesus at that moment is kind of trying to shake them up. So, all right. I don't know if that's doing it for you, Loretta, but um, that's what we got. So, we got last question for today. Yes. Yes, why do we add to the Lord's Prayer? So now you raise up something controversial. Okay, so yeah, we can look at it in Matthew 6. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and with this we'll end, is the Sermon on the Mount. You call it a tag, yes. Right, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine or yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forevermore. So this raises up an interesting question. Is that original to the text of Matthew or is it not? And if you look in your King James Bible, which we all know is a good translation for its time. That's what I was going to say, right? Yes? Um, it has that language, right? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Uh, and the King James was written uh, based on manuscripts because these, the Bible is 
uh, a translation. It was not written in English. Surprise. Uh, it was written, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek. And the, the uh, um, manuscripts of that Greek New Testament on which the King James is based come from the earliest ones, the ninth century and, and, all, and, uh, and following. In the intervening time since uh, the translation of the King James Bible, there have been earlier manuscripts found, some even as early uh, as the first century, although those are mostly scraps, like you'll find a scrap of papyrus, not even vellum, which is what parchments are made of, uh, just some papyrus scraps. And so we have some from the second century, uh, so let's just say roughly, you know, 80 years, 75 to 100 years after Christ, that sort of thing. And those earlier manuscripts do not contain that language. They also do not contain uh, the so-called longer ending of the Gospel of Mark uh, and so on. So the idea more likely is that those things were then introduced by some well-meaning scribe or somebody who's just, um, like for example, in the King James, one of the interesting things you find, if you do a, a statistical analysis, you'll find that King James Bible, King James New Testament alone is a full 15% different from the rest of others. Now, in no area of any substance, of any real import, uh, the closest we get is maybe in 1 John chapter 4, where they've added a phrase um, that really probably seems out of place. But almost all of it is minor. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different gospels, all addressing different things, even though they're same, speaking about the same life of Christ. Some scribe who is sitting there sometime in the ninth century is writing, and he's saying, oh, Mark didn't include something that Luke did, and so he adds it, just adds a phrase or puts something in there. And we can see that because we can see the documents now, you know, building up, and you have this from the second century, and this, this is the same, this is the same, this is the same. Boom, here it shows up. Now we've got this addition. Most of those changes are attempts to um, uh, harmonize the Gospels. That's where a lot of the changes are, almost, ex not exclusively, but a full majority of them. So it's not surprising that we get the long ending of Mark, that we get uh, here at, at the Lord's Prayer, and then we get all these other things. And like I said, there's a few others. That one in First John is a little problematic, uh, and so on. So what's happened is Bible scholars have looked at that and said, yeah, those need to be reversed back to what we see in the earlier manuscripts. And let Mark be Mark, let Luke be Luke, and so on. And, and they're missing what the other one says, but that was intentional. And so when we come to Matthew, yeah, that phrase, which is not a harmonization, not everything was meant to be a harmonization. Somebody just must have thought that's a perfectly good ending. My suspicion, because uh, that is also a suspicion of a number of scholars, this is not original, this is not, oh, Pastor John, you're so, <laughs> so innovative. But what most of us believe is that the early Christians took the pastoral prayer, the Lord's uh, prayer, rather, to heart and began using it. But it kind of just ends, you know, remember, it's supposed to be a model. It was not literally meant to be something that you just pray. You certainly don't pray it again and again as if it has magical power in of itself. It's supposed to be a model. Cover this topic, cover that topic, cover that topic, and that kind of thing. And Jesus doesn't even end it with the words that we know every prayer needs to end with, which is in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you know, if you've been in my classes before, you know that's, I'm saying that ironically and why we don't necessarily have to do that. But they wanted to come up with some ending, you know, to kind of round it out. And so somebody said, well, to you be all power, and to you be, uh, to you be the kingdom of God, and to you be all power, and to you be all glory. 
And you kept saying that enough times that finally some scribe said, that's the Lord's Prayer, and it's missing in this manuscript that I'm supposed to copy, so I'll just add it on. And more than likely, that's how that's happened. So the better translations, remove it, and put a footnote to remind you. But they are hesitant sometimes to completely wipe it out because, I mean, I remember talking to some of the translators for the ESV uh, or the translators, uh, New Living Translation, NLT. You guys may have heard of that. Uh, it's in two versions. The first version was truly, truly atrocious um, to the point where it was fully revised within less than 10 years. That's almost unheard of. But it was that bad. Um, and I was talking to some of the translators from it. You know, they get to um, the end of Psalm 23, and well, this will end. How does Psalm 23 end? How does it? You all memorized it, right? Say again. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That sounds like just what you want to read to somebody who is on their deathbed, right? Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, blah, 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 blah. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You just trust it. But except it's not what it says in Hebrew. It's not what it ever said in Hebrew. That's not even one of the things that changed, you know, that, oh, the manuscript, somebody, somewhere along the line, somebody translated it that way, King James, and... Um, <laughs> It became so ingrained that people thought, oh, that's what it says. But what it literally says is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Which is a wonderful thing to say. David is saying, I'm so blessed. The house of the Lord is where God dwells. I will be there with God all the days of my life. But if you look at it, the first thing you think is, oh, what about after? And he's just not addressing that. It's not what's part of the, But you see, we, we've, we've put some freight on there that that train can't carry. It wasn't meant to. But because it's so traditional, nobody wants to change it. And I listen to this translator saying, yeah, we can't touch that. That's like the third rail of translation. <laughs> no, really. Or the other one, John three sixteen, for God. And what does that make you think? For God so very much in such a great way loved the world. Is that true? Yes, that's true, but it's not what it says. In the days of Jacobean English, time of King James, the word so meant thus, in this way. We still kind of use it that way every now and then. When I say, you want to do it? Do it like so, right? That means in this way. And so God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son. But because that became ingrained in our mentality, and that was not King James's fault, that was just the language of the day, and the language changed, right? Did you know that in King James, when it says the word let, what does let mean? Allow, permit, except that in Jacobean English, it means to not permit. That might just change the meaning of the text. Language changes. And so the word so changed, and it really should be translated for God loved the world in this way. Oh, that doesn't sound as good when I hold up the sign in the NFL games, right? So, all right, we need to quit, guys. We're past our time. You've all been good. That is, and um, that's why it's there, you know, and why we are reticent sometimes to change it because of tradition. Uh, uh, the guys who publish the ESV and, uh, and, and some other translations, I commend them for just simply saying, we're going to print what it actually says. Uh, they didn't do it for John 3.16, though. So we've got to write to Crossway and say, come on. Uh, anyway, all right. Uh, other questions that you have, you'll have to uh, save them for next week, but uh, let's do that. 
write them down if you'd like. Uh, if you even uh, love your pastor, you might even send it to him an email so he might know what's coming. Uh, or if you really want to see him dance, don't send it. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that Jesus came and he is that prophet, priest, and king who was foretold. Uh, he is the full manifestation of all the prophecies and all the different types that we read about in the Old Testament. All these kings that were types of Jesus, all these prophets who pointed, as Deuteronomy 18 says, even about Moses, that there will be one great prophet to come. Uh, and of course, this great um, uh, priest who came and not only uh, points us to, to Christ, uh, uh, to God, but himself is the sacrifice uh, on our behalf. And so we thank you that uh, he is the ultimate uh, realization of all the promises of scriptures. Paul says, all the promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Help us to see that. Help us to be thankful for uh, what happened in the coming of Christ. Uh, we see, Father, spiritual blindness in the Pharisees, unless we think that we're better or smarter or wiser. May we recognize that if we do see anything, it is because the Spirit, that same Spirit that came upon Elijah and came upon John the Baptist, enables us now to see and understand. So for that, we thank you for the gift of understanding your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name, who alone makes it possible. Amen.